Yes, um, it is Mother's Day. Yes, I'm holding a football. And yes, I realize that's not a promising start. On Mother's Day, uh, I could very easily connect these because I think virtually anything can be connected to mothers. Many of you ladies are moms. You don't care for football, but you have played catch. You have gone deep. You have uh, cleaned football clothes. You have uh, looked and found the football. You have driven to football practice. You have listened to football stories. You have a lot in common with football. Um, I actually don't want to don't want to suggest that we're only recognizing mothers for their links to football. We are celebrating moms today. What you do is among the most important work that is done by anyone at any time, and it is not appreciated near enough, and we're under no illusion that one uh, day of um, being recognized is going to fundamentally change that, especially Mother's Day, which is, as we have pointed out, a complicated day. It's a great day for many. Uh, it's, a, it's a very hard day for others. Um, it's not enough, even if it's a great day, to make up for all that you do. But we thank you, and do be assured that while you did get rice and beans on the way in, uh, you will get chocolate on the way out. So uh, all, all ladies over the age of 21 will receive chocolate, and we are carding uh, on the way out. So I actually had the football for, um, for one particular reason, and that is that I want to reference... Uh, a very famous talk that was given annually by the legendary coach Vince Lombardi. Lombardi uh, was the coach of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he's the one that the, that the Lombardi Trophy for the Super Bowl champions is named after. Um, he would annually open up spring training with his team, okay, professional football players, in some cases reigning world champions, he would open every season with the same five words. Gentlemen, this is a football. And then he would start saying, this is a football field. It's a hundred yards long. There are two goals. It's divided into ten-yard segments. There's out-of-bounds. And he would just proceed to explain the game of football to these professional players as if they had never seen a football before, as if they had no idea what football was about. And he would do this in order to be very clear about what it takes to win. I want to give what is in essence sort of a, this is a football sermon. I want to be very clear about what is expected of us what it takes for us to win. I want to argue that for you and for me to do what we have been called to do, we need to both proclaim the good news and we need to engage in good works. And the emphasis today is on the word and. We need to, we need to tell people about Christ about his life, his love, what he taught, how he died, that he rose again, the offer that he makes to everybody everywhere for eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the exchange he will make, your sin for his righteousness. We need to say that to everybody and 
Additionally, we need to follow his example. And we need to love and serve. We need to give our life away. And the emphasis, again, is on this word, and. Let me back up and, and say, this is the fifth sermon in this series. I opened and have been repeating uh, each message with one central question. Can you imagine what the world would look like if everybody who loved God served others? If everyone who claims to be a follower of Christ actually followed Christ's example and put the needs of others ahead of their own, especially the poor? I've been clear that we come into a relationship with God through Christ, that we are reconciled through the work of Christ, that we are justified by faith alone and Christ alone, that we're adopted into the family, that we become children of God through the work of Christ. And we are then invited and expected to work out that salvation to, to serve other people. We, we are expected to be the hands and feet of God. We are expected to bring as much heaven to earth as we can. We are expected to, to embrace these upside-down values of the kingdom of God, where the last will be first, and where we are going to consider it better to serve than to be the one served. In the first message, uh, I pointed out that everybody who comes to faith in Christ is divinely enabled to serve, is, is equipped, has special abilities or skills or competencies, and that, that we are given these abilities with the expectation that we will use them to serve others. In the second message, we looked specifically and unpacked this idea of serving. Both the, the humble attitude that says, I'll do whatever needs to be done wherever I run across it. The, yeah, I may be the creator of the universe, but I will wash the feet of the disciples if no one else will kind of mindset. And additionally, the, the idea that we need to find uh, a passion, that we need to lean into some opportunities that, that resonate with who God made us and how he gifted us and our DNA and our, our skills and, and, the, and the specific sphere of influence that we have, that we need to find ways that we're really going to leverage who we are to serve others. This, uh, this was based uh, largely on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Then went on and gave two messages on the poor. The first one I opened by repeating the line from a friend of mine, Antonio Barro, who said, Jesus' commitment to the poor bothers me. And then we looked at all the different reasons that people can be uh, extremely poor, uh, whether it's natural disasters or sickness or bad government or it's just that they've been lazy or foolish or if it's that they're choosing to identify with the poor. Uh, you know, we, we looked at some of the systemic reasons that some people are pushed down and unable to find the bottom rung of the ladder and to begin to pull themselves up. And then 
We looked in uh, Philippians chapter 4 at this remarkable little passage where Paul said that he is especially grateful for the gift that the Philippians gave to him in his need. He was in prison and he needed money in order to eat. He was particularly thankful for them, but not because of what it did for him, but because of what it did for them, right? That their heavenly account was being credited for the good work that they were doing uh, on his behalf. And then I, I read Matthew 25, very difficult passage, and challenged you coming out of that to, first of all, participate in the, um, the Feed My Starving Children weekend, which is coming up uh, next weekend. We have all 500 people that we need to help pack food, and uh, we're still a little behind on raising the $22,000 to buy the food, but we fully expect that, that will come in and we will pack meals for 100,000 uh, children next weekend. So I challenged you to that end. Thank you. I also invited you to participate in this five-day challenge, to go on this poverty fast, to eat like the bottom billion people will eat and to do that for five days. Then finally, last week, we had, uh, on this campus, we had uh, Ray Hilton from uh, First President Evanston, and he preached out of Genesis 12 that we're blessed to be a blessing. If you were at the other campus, Nathan uh, Lemahue preached out of Deuteronomy and looked at the remarkable ways that God's laws in the Old Testament sort of ensured that nobody went hungry. Well, today, in this last message, what I want to do, again, is argue what it looks like for us to win. And I want to argue that, you know, that, that we've got to do both aspects of our assignment, that it takes two wings for a bird to fly. And I'm going to do this by returning to Matthew chapter 25, the passage that we were in two weeks ago. I'm, I'm returning to this passage because of the, the many questions that I received and emails and sort of consternation and obvious angst that this passage produced for folks. So it, it is a hard passage, hard to understand, hard to accept, hard to do. So we're going to go back and look at that. But I, I'm also taking this back because uh, there is an ongoing challenge that many people get wrong and have for 2,000 years. And it is the challenge of balancing uh, both aspects of our assignment. You could say, broadly speaking, that there are people who sort of major on the proclaim the good news, and there are people that major in the engage in good works. There are people who are justification people, that we are, we are made right. We are, we are justified before God by faith alone in Christ alone. And there are justice people, who say, we need to serve the poor. We need to be advocates for the oppressed. We need to work. We need to, we need to be God's representatives. And, and the challenge here is that, not, not that, that there's anything wrong with what people say when they, when they sort of advocate for either position. I mean, the justification by faith alone and Christ alone, people will turn to all the passages that point out that, that this is the way it works. This is God's provision for us. When people showed up to Christ and were, were looking for eternal life, Jesus did not say, work harder. 
Right? He didn't say, you better hope that, that your good outweighs your bad. No, he said, come to me. I'm the bread of life. Right? The, the, the Father has sent me. As many as receive me, to them I, I give the right to become children of God. And, and so this is all true. But the people who are justification by faith alone can, can occasionally be only justification by faith alone. As opposed to saying, I am excited and celebrating this, and I am also excited and celebrating the call to justice, the call to serve, the call to, to, to love especially the oppressed. And likewise, there are people that stand in this camp, and they point to all the passages that say, God is particularly attuned to the needs of the poor. God is particularly concerned about those who, who are facing injustice. And it's, it's not acceptable for us to look the other way. We are to be advocates for those people. We are to, we are to help fix the systems. We're to care for the widow and the orphan. And, and so all this is true, but sometimes the people that stand in this camp are only in this camp. And they're only about justice, and they're, they're not also standing with the justification by faith alone. And the challenge that we have is to stand in the middle and to say, these things go together, and you've got to have both. Now, for the record, as we talk here, our mission is to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. And when I get pressed, I admit, yes, the order there is, is significant. Because, uh, not because the, the spiritual needs are more important than physical needs. The Bible never teaches that. But because eternal issues are more important than temporal ones. And because there are lots of people who can actually come alongside and do, without any faith in God, come alongside and help the poor. Um, and also because if you want to raise up an army of people who will be advocates for the poor, I would argue the best thing that you can do is to see them come to faith in Christ. So there is a, there is a, there's a slight preference for the order in which we have placed these. But the purpose that we have been given, the assignment we've been given, the example of Christ, is that we have to do both. And so that is what I am Arguing today takes two wings for the bird to fly. There are two aspects of this mission. The key word is and. So if you have uh, your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read again verses 31 through the end of this chapter. This is Jesus speaking. It is uh, part of the Olivet Discourse. Um, Christ is... um, Christ is going to use a very common, everyday occurrence to a first century uh, uh, Palestinian Jew. 
he is going to talk about separating the sheep and the goats. The shepherds there, I've seen it myself when I was there, sheep and goats are kept in the same herd during the day. They're separated at night. They sleep in different sections because they have sort of different temperature gauges. And so they go in different directions. So you separate the sheep and the goat every night. And Christ is going to talk about uh, separating them. He, that he is going to be the great divider, not of sheep and goats, but of people. And that there are some who will be welcomed into the kingdom of God and others who will not. It's a very frightening passage. Let me read it for you. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and following. When the Son of Man comes, and this is Christ referring to himself. Son of Man was his favorite way of referring to himself. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king, again he's referring to himself, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom, prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal faith. Well, as you can imagine, um, the justice people love this passage, right? And say, here it is. This is Jesus talking, right? No one else. And he is laying this out as clear as can be. We will all be judged. And the issue is going to be based on our work. Did you care for the poor or not? And the justification by faith alone people read this passage and go, huh, this doesn't really <clears throat> fit what I have generally understood to be the broader truth of Christ's message. And we'll then start to dig in to see whether or not there are any uh, loopholes, so to speak, any ways out of this message. Now, uh, I will say very readily, if this was all we had from Christ, then we could state that Christianity was no different from any other religion in the world. And you better hope that your good outweighs your bad on that cosmic scale that is going to determine your eternity. But in fact, 
This is not the only teaching that we have from Christ in the New Testament. And um, while I think that it is true that some people uh, come to this passage looking for loopholes, and I read a number of them this week, some that would say, well, Jesus isn't really talking about all the poor. He's only talking about uh, evangelists, those who represented him. And how do people treated the evangelists determined how they really were treating Christ. Now, I I don't see anything to justify that. I, I do see some merit to a view. It's still a minority view. The, the majority view for the last 2,000 years has been this passage means sort of what you fear it means, and that is how we treat all poor is what is at stake. But um, I think that there's some merit to those that say it looks like Christ is talking about how we treat the poor who are materially poor but in faith in Christ. Because he refers to them as brothers. And this is uh, brothers or sisters. This is a, a statement he only uses to refer to those who are in the covenant. Now, lest you think that that is a, uh, a big breakthrough, uh, I just want to point out, I don't think it really fundamentally changes anything. Because there are other passages that make it clear that all God's people, everyone God created... He created in his image, and they have value and worth, and we are to love and care for them. And we see in the Old Testament that that there were very specific mandates for how the Jews were to honor the alien, the foreigner, who was outside the covenant, how they were to treat them with respect and care. And Christ's answer to the, to the young attorney who, who asks initially, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus says, what does the law say? He says, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus, you know, sometimes people don't get the joke here. They don't, they don't see the sarcasm. Jesus says, great, you do that and you'll be fine. Because, of course, we can't do that. Right? We can't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't pull that off 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. We can't do it for five minutes. So Jesus says, yeah, great, you do that. And how's that working for you? And then the man says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus gives this radical answer that, is, that clearly shows when he talks about the good Samaritan, that, that he's not being narrow in terms of who he understands our love and grace and care is to extend to. And Paul in Galatians 6 says, do good to all people. So I think that this this verse does sort of apply very broadly. The principle, at least, applies very broadly. We are expected to love and care for all people. Now, That said, I would also point out that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that we are not going to earn or even contribute to our salvation by how we care for the poor. I come to this passage and say, this is entirely consistent with what we find everywhere else. And that is that when we come to faith in Christ, We should be changed, and we should live differently, and we should should have our heart transformed in such a way that this is what faith looks like in us. 
to go back, as I've made this point before, but to just try and be as clear as I can. Salvation is not faith plus works. Okay? We, we do not have faith and good works in an effort to be saved, to become a child of God. Salvation is not faith plus works. Faith equals salvation plus works. Faith in Christ leads to salvation. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone. That faith will be accompanied by works. And if it is not accompanied by works, it's not saving faith. It's not faith that justifies. This is, this is what James says. Faith without works is dead. It's not real faith. And what the Christian life looks like when God gets a hold of our heart and he changes us, what it looks like is serving other people, especially the poor. It's because that's, that's just the direction we get moved by the Spirit of God living in us. So I don't want to take any of the fear away from this passage. <laughs> right? It should cause us a little pause. And, and we should ask ourselves from time to time, okay, am I manifesting the kind of fruit that I'm supposed to manifest if God is actually in my life? There's another scary passage also in Matthew, also Jesus speaking. Back in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Christ is talking about this idea of fruit, that, that you, you can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. The, the fruit is, you know, not going to lie. And he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This may be among the, the, the most frightening passages in the New Testament because this passage where, where the person says, Lord, Lord, that, um, that suggests some familiarity with Jesus. In, in Greek and in Hebrew, there's no um, adjectives. So you couldn't say it's a very hot day out. You would say instead, you would repeat the word that you want to emphasize. So you would say, it's a hot, hot day. And you would go, okay, it's extra hot. The only attribute of God, some things get elevated two times, like Jesus will say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Right? He's getting their attention. Most things get, get multiplied twice. Occasionally, something gets multiplied three times. So, uh, you know, seven is the number of perfection. Six is the number of imperfection. Six, six, six is imperfection multiplied to the extreme. Attribute of God, His holiness, is the only attribute that gets repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Something is emphasized by being repeated. Well, right here, we've got Jesus saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right? which, would, which would suggest some intimacy, some familiarity with the Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Well, what is the will of the Father who is in heaven? We know. (laughs) Again, we have our assignment. It's not complicated. We are to share the love of God. 
We are to proclaim the story of Christ, the Savior of the world, and we are to love and serve people. We're to proclaim the good news and engage in good works. And and the emphasis is on and. Right? Some people fall off the balance beam this direction. They're all justification by faith. Others fall off the balance beam this way. They're all justice. We have been told to do both. And I would argue that it, it, it actually works so much better when you pull these two together. Right? It's, for starters, there's a sense in which loving and serving people, especially people who can do nothing back for you, right? to just love and care and fight for the oppressed and to care for the poor, to do this as a matter of course, is going to occasionally cause other people to say, well, why are you doing this? Right? The, the action validates a message that God has given to us. Right? Our, our service would validate the message. Equally true would be the idea that it's only those who really get justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, who are equipped to do justice the way it's supposed to be done. The motivation comes out of this overwhelming sense of forgiveness and a gift from God. And it's not a, a motivation out of guilt. I mean, we're talking about the poor. I could, I could argue on the basis of statistics to try and make you feel guilty so that you would be inclined to give more money away. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not a hard argument to make. If you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the world's wealth. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. Okay? There, there, are, there are a billion people trying to live on a dollar a day. The average American lives on $100 a day. Some of you live on $100 an hour. It's not, this isn't a hard argument to make. But the fact is, almost nobody feels rich. Right? Everybody goes, well, I, yeah, you, well, I may have $100 an hour. That's, that's only $36,000 a year. That's not rich. That, that, that's not rich. I can't, that, I can't get by on that. A number of years ago when I was working as a management consultant, I had a, a client, a young guy, who uh, had started a company, computer company in his 20s. He was in his early 30s. He had the, run the company for seven years. He was selling it for $150 million. So I'm doing some work with him uh, on various projects, and I'm suggesting to him, sort of around the edges, like, you ought to really give a lot of this away, right? Like, you ought, to, you ought to find ways to actually do a lot of good with this. And his comment to me was uh, two things. One, you sound like my wife. And two, you know, $150 million isn't all that much. And he says, we need a billion. That's sort of the threshold. Okay, well, I didn't know that you needed a billion. I would have thought that with $150 million, you'd be good. And perhaps you would say, if I had $150 million, I'd be good. But there's a lot of people who have $150 million who don't feel like they have a billion. And, and the, the, the truth here is, we are enormously wealthy. 
in light of history and in light of the world, $50,000 is a lot of money. And, and I could say, look, you know, 26,000 kids are going to starve to death today. 26,000 children will die today from poverty and poverty-related issues. It's like 100 jet planes crashing today. Can you imagine how much things would change if five jets crashed today? I mean, what kind of full-court stop we would have? Five jets crashed today, that's unacceptable. Right? Two crashed in the same day, people would be unnerved. hundred jets filled with kids will crash today and will crash tomorrow. We can head down this path, right? I got statistics that go on forever, right? Nine million people will starve to death this year. I mean, it's just, those are the numbers. But that kind of motivation is so different than the motivation that comes from understanding the goodness and grace and mercy of God extended to us. That's the game changer. When we get that we are spiritually broke, Poor, desperate. And God meets us where we are at with everything that we need. He allows us to change our sin for his righteousness and we get eternal life. We win the lottery forever. When we get that that we are actively rebelling against God, it's not that we've earned it, that we hate God and God loves us and he sends his son to die for us. When we get that transaction and we get what is ours in Christ, That just changes the way you look at everything. If I've been given all of that freely, then why would I hold on to anything I would freely give? That motivation, the motivation of understanding justification by faith alone in Christ alone, changes the way we do justice. And I would argue that when we do justice, when we serve That changes our heart as well, and it actually makes us more likely to share the love of God in an evangelistic way with others. Men and women, there are a number of ways to get it wrong. Some people get both issues wrong. Some people get one but not the other. Some people get the other but not the one. We are called to both. In order to win, we are expected to proclaim the good news and engage in good works to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your work in this world. We thank you for your Son who did everything that needed to be done for us to be made right with you. From dying in our place to being an example of how we should care for the least and the lost. May we follow that example to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name.